right, so let's have prayer together, and then we'll start. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together. Thank you for the privilege to be able to study the Bible together. And I pray today as we look at this very simple truth that you will once again remind us and teach us that you are God and you are in control of everything. And um, help us to trust that and to know that no matter what comes in our life, that you're going to take it and use it to accomplish your purpose. So, Lord, uh, use your word to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 1. Look with me at verse number 13. The Bible says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Uh, and quite often, we have this tendency as humans, when things go wrong or bad or sideways, that it's God's fault. Now, you know, it's interesting, if you look throughout the Bible, whenever things like that would happen, like, for example, the life of Job. Who was it that his buddies said was causing all this? They said, this, this all come from God. This is God's fault. And the reason he's doing it is because, Job, you must have done something really, really bad to make God do all this to you. When the truth was, God was the only reason it wasn't worse. Who was it that was actually doing it to it? Satan was. And ultimately, that's who really tries to destroy our lives. It's not God, but yet God a lot of times gets blamed. So James starts out here and he says, look, when somebody gets tempted, when you get tempted to do wrong, don't ever even entertain the thought that it's God that's tempting you to do wrong. Why? Look at the rest of the verse. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So, James says, first of all, when you're tempted to sin, please understand, it's not God that's tempting you. Well, if it's not God that's tempting me, where does it come from? He explains that too. We are all tempted when this process takes place. First of all, there is something in my life that appeals to my fleshly nature, to my sin nature. Now, for those of you that maybe don't fully understand what I'm talking about, all of us, when we were born, we were born with a character mold that is called the Adamic nature. Literally, it is the characteristics and the traits that we inherited from our father Adam. It is also called in the Bible the sin nature. It's also called our fleshly desires. It is also referred to in the NIV as sinful desires. All addressing the same issue. That we all have a part of us that is our old nature that does not want to obey God. It will never subject itself to God and it's always going to give us fits. In Galatians 5, Paul says that that nature battles against the Spirit of God, which is what we get when we get saved, for control of our life. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Why? Because there's a war going on inside of me, he said, for control of my mind, which ultimately controls my life. And that is this battle between our old sin nature and all those sinful desires and our flesh. Now, here's the point. James says that when we're tempted to sin, 
it is because something is going on in our life that is addressing one of those areas of my sinful nature where I struggle. I was talking to our married class this morning, and one of the things I told them, uh, we were talking about dying to sin. And I said, you know, I don't have trouble dying to the sin of heroin use. That, that, that just doesn't bother me. doesn't appeal to me. Sticking needles in my arm just is not how I want to get my thrills. You know, that doesn't bother me. Crack. Crank. Meth. You know, that, that, that don't bother me. I, I don't have any trouble saying no to that. Marijuana. I haven't had trouble with that in a long, long time. However, there are other things that do bother me. There are other things that do tempt me that I have to be careful about. So if Satan comes to me, he's not going to cause me to run in to a crack dealer downtown in Five Points who shoves a bunch of free crack under my nose. Because I would tell him he's cracked. I don't need that stuff. That doesn't do anything for me. However, there are other things that could really cause me issues. All right? So, when James says we're tempted whenever we're enticed by our fleshly lust, that's why all of our issues in this area are different. You may be here today and crack is a problem for you. You may be here today and alcohol is a problem for you. You may be here today and lust or pornography is a problem for you. None of those things are an issue. I mean, it's easy for me to say no to that. That's not issues with me. So all of our issues are different based upon our lives and how that fleshly nature has been molded throughout our life. Now, here's what he says. It, by the way, it's not a sin to be tempted. Look at what he says. He said, we're tempted, verse 14. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, his own, it's individual, evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. That phrase, dragged away, literally means it grabs my attention. That's why if I have a problem with something in my life, the best thing for me to do is stay as far away from it as I can so I don't get distracted by it. I get distracted. The next step in the process is I get enticed. That's why... 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that God will not tempt us beyond or allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle, but He makes a way of escape. Yeah, well, God, that doesn't work for me. No, it works. The problem is He made a way to escape, and I didn't want to take it. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. So what happens is we get distracted by it, we get enticed, and then the sin happens. Up until now, I'm okay. No sin. He says, but after I'm dragged away and enticed, verse 15, then after desire has conceived, I've been distracted by it, I've been enticed by it, I've thought about it, and I've made a decision. I'm going to do this. Now it's conceived. It gives birth to sin. That's when the sin happens. And sin, when it's full grown, when it runs its full course, brings what? Death. Sin never ends up good. Sin can end up okay 
for a long, long time. You can have terminal cancer for years and never even know it. If you catch a lot of them early, they can be cured. If you ignore it and it continues to grow when it's full grown, there's nothing to do about it. Sin is the same way. Sin is the cancer of the soul. And here's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to draw me away. He wants to entice me. He wants me to go ahead and give in and get involved. And then he wants me to stay involved. He doesn't want me, like Dr. Carney talked about today, he doesn't want me to confess my sin. I did it and I was wrong. He doesn't ever want me to admit that. Because if I don't ever admit that, I'll never leave the sin. Satan wants the sin to get full grown. Because that's why Jesus said the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. Okay? Now, that is where sin comes from. All right? Now, why do we spend all that time on where sin comes from when we're talking about the providence of God and sin? Well, I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, God does not cause sin. He is in control of everything, but He does not cause sin. We just saw that in James chapter 1. The Bible says when we're tempted, don't say you're tempted by God. Where did sin come from, by the way? The garden of what? Garden of Eden. Okay. Who actually sinned? And don't say Eve. Adam and Eve. They both did. By the way, who, got, who took the responsibility for it according to God? Adam. Okay. Now, did God make them sin? Did He cause that? No. Somebody says, yeah, but God sure made it awfully easy. Are you kidding me? He created a garden full of all kinds of wonderful things and only had one rule. One. The tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat that fruit. Because the day you eat, you will surely die. And by the way, was God keeping them from that tree because He wanted to be a big, mean, evil God and make their life miserable? No, because He knew that if they gained the knowledge of good and evil, it would make their life difficult and hard. As long as you stay away from that, life will be great. And every time God tells us, don't do something or do something, He's trying to make our life better. He's not trying to make it worse. So, it, it wasn't God's fault, but that's where sin came from. So, God does not cause sin. Then what does He do? He controls it. God controls everything, right? Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 4. The Lord works out everything for His own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. God controls everything, even sin. Now, God didn't cause sin, but it's here. So He's going to control it. Again, what's the providence of God? It is the continuous action of God in and with His creation so that His creation carries out the purpose for which He created it. So God's going to make sure no matter what happens that His purpose gets accomplished. That's why Proverbs 16.4 says He works out everything for His own end. And God never comes to the place where He says, uh-oh, now what am I going to do? Here was my plan, but... Those stupid people, they've messed it up again. Now, what are we going to do? God never does that. God already knows everything. And again, this is the mind-blowing part when we try and understand everything about God. You're never going to do that, okay? All right, if God controls sin, 
then how does he control it? What does he do with it? Okay? I'm going to give you four things that God does in controlling sin and hopefully get some applications to show us how that works in our life. Number one, he can prevent it. If God doesn't want us to sin, he, he can't stop it. He is God. In Genesis chapter 20, there is the story of Abraham and Sarah going into a land where Abimelech was the king. Now, some of you will remember the story. Abraham was very, very worried about the fact that his wife, Sarah, was hot. She was a good-looking woman. And he was afraid he would go down and the king would see his hot wife and want her and find out she's married and whack Abraham so he could have his wife. So you know what Abraham did? He devised a plan. And he told his wife. When we get down there, if they take notice of you, tell them you're my sister. That way I don't get whacked. You're still probably going to get taken and abused, but I won't get whacked. Great plan. Alright? So here's what happens. They go down there. Abimelech notices Sarah and says, I want her. Is she married? No, she got a brother named Abraham, but she's not married. Good, I'll take her. He takes her in and he's going to sleep with her. Now, I don't know where Abraham is or what he's doing, but poor Sarah's about to go through it. You know what happened? God stopped it. Notice chapter 20 of Genesis and verse 6. Then God said to him, that's Abimelech, in the dream. Abimelech's having his dream and God's speaking to him in his dream. Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so, here it is, I have kept you from sinning against me. That's why I did not let you touch her. What did God do? God exposed Abraham's lie so that Abimelech realized before he ever touched Sarah that she was the wife of Abraham, not the sister. And he said, get her out of here. And then he had this dream and God said, I did that. I kept you from sinning. And why did he do that? So that his purpose could be accomplished. Does God have the ability to keep us from sinning? Absolutely. If that's what He chooses to do. Alright? What else does He do? Number two, He can permit it. We don't have time to look at the verses, but you've got them on the board. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Uh, and I'm going to explain that to you in just a minute. If you want to, you can turn to Psalm 81. We're actually going to read these verses. But uh, Romans chapter 1, do you remember the, the account in uh, the book of Romans where Paul is describing the depravity of man and he talks about men doing sexual things with men and women with women and it's an abomination to God and all that. That's the passage in Romans 1, verses 21 through 28. That's the passage we're talking about. In that passage, the Bible says that because the people did not want to retain the knowledge of God in their mind. He gave them up to do what they wanted to do. It says twice He gave them up. The third time it says He gave them over to a reprobate mind. Did God cause it? No. But He permitted it. He let them do what they wanted to do. And where did it lead? 
it led to them destroying their lives. We have to be careful because God is not a big, mean God sitting on the brink of heaven with an AK-47 waiting till we get ready to sin and you know, unload about 30 rounds in us to stop us. Sometimes God will just let us go ahead and do what we want to do. And somebody says, well, God punish me. God most of the time doesn't have to punish us. We punish ourselves. Because the natural result of sin, James 1, is death. God didn't have to make that happen. It's naturally going to happen. If we take enough heroin, you will die. If you snort enough coke, you will die. If you mix the wrong drugs and alcohol, you will die. God didn't have to make you die. That's the natural result of that chemical reaction in the human body. Okay? So, sometimes God permits it. Now look at Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12. But my people, talking about the Jews, would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. What did he do? He let them do what they wanted to do. He permitted sin. And by the way, where did they ultimately end up in captivity? And remember when they came to the brink of the River Jordan the first time with Moses and the twelve spies went over and they came back and uh, ten of them said, we can't do this. And Joshua and Caleb said, oh yes, we can. And God got angry and God said, because they don't believe me, then everybody that is 20 years old and older, we're going back into the desert. Oh, great option. We could be in the land of milk and honey. We're going back to the desert. Oh, thanks a lot. Everybody that's 20 years old and older that didn't believe God. Wonderful choice. whole lot better than going over in the land of milk and honey and doing what God said, right? And we're going to stay there until all of you that are 20 years old and older die. Guess what? Because you chose not to obey me and trust me, you will never see the promised land. And then they came back the second time, 40 years later, after they're all dead. Joshua, Caleb, Moses stays on this side till he hit the rock. Joshua takes over. And what happens? They're going to try this again. Do you think anybody dared to say we can't do this? Oh, no. Forty years in the desert and a lot of family members die and cured that. Did God cause that? No. They did. God let them do what they wanted to do. He permitted it. Okay. What else does He do? Number three, He can direct it. Remember the story of Joseph? Uh, here are the passages, Genesis 37, verses 18 through 22. Remember, Joseph, his brothers are jealous. He gets this beautiful coat of many colors. And uh, they get jealous. They throw him in a hole. They sell him to a Midianite band. They take him down into Egypt. He does a great thing, ends up in prison, helps a guy in prison, gets forgotten for two years. After two years, finally the butler remembers. He tells Pharaoh. He gets out. Joseph becomes second in command in all of Egypt. Then Potiphar's wife tries to 
trick him into sleeping with her. He does the right thing and he runs. All this stuff is going on in Joseph's life over all these years. Then, after the Potiphar's wife incident and all those years in prison and the butler and all that, he gets out, he finally becomes second in command, the famine comes. By the way, how did he get to be the big cheese? Remember, he interpreted a dream in prison. Then he interpreted Pharaoh's dream that none of the wise people could do. And so he gets put in charge. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. You know the story. After all these years, the brothers show up again. Oh, dude, I thought we got ready a long time ago. I thought this was over. Things have a way of coming around. And you remember what Joseph told them in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20? They were scared to death because they thought their little brother was going to exact retaliation and revenge for what they had done. Here's what Joseph said. All those years ago when you did all this to me, by the way, his life wasn't great. He had a lot of problems. He said, you meant it for evil. But God minute for good. Had you not done that, and what did they do? They sinned. They treated their brother wrong, and God permitted it. But then He directed it. It wasn't an accident that the Midianite group came by at that time, that they sold him to them instead of killing him, that he ended up in Egypt, that he ended up in prison, that he met a butler, that he ended up interpreting a dream and back in Potiphar's house. None of that was an accident. God was directing. By the way, there was a lot of sin that God had to direct in the life of Joseph to get him where he ultimately wanted him. And none of it, by the way, was Joseph's sin. Here's a dude trying to do the right thing. And he always seems to be getting the raw end of the deal. But God is directing all of that sin to accomplish his purpose. You know, He does the same thing in our lives. We are sinners. We're going to sin. And God is going to permit some of it. But then He will direct it to change our lives. Let me tell you, some of the people that you will be able to help the most are the people that you explain how to overcome difficulties in their life because you had the same problem that God helped you overcome. And right now, you're in that training part where God is directing your sin to get you to the place where He can teach you how to overcome it. But one day He's going to use you to help somebody else do the same thing. Then the last thing, He limits it. God limits sin. You remember in Job chapter 1 and verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he, that's Job, has is in your hands, but on the man himself... Do not lay a finger. I love the way the NIV puts that. Every time Satan wants to hurt me, God looks down and says, Don't you lay a finger on him. Not don't hurt him. Don't you even lay a finger on Bill. I need him to say that a little more often. But he does sometimes. Okay? Don't lay a finger on Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan can't touch you without God's permission. Sometimes God permits it, and He directs it, but He will limit it. 
He will only allow it to go so far. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 teaches us God will limit the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He, look at it. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He limits it. He knows what we can handle, and so He limits it. Now, how is He going to help us? Here's the training part. But, when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. He's going to permit it, limit it, and then He's going to show me how to overcome it. If I do what He says, then I learn a great lesson. A lesson I can use later to help others. If I don't listen... And I try and do it on my own. And by the way, I know that none of you probably do this. I do it all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Think I'm smarter than God. I do it all the time. Now, God, I know you say this, but. And them buts have gotten me into a lot of trouble. God, I know you say I shouldn't do this, but this is why it's okay. And by the way, if you need a reason to justify what you want to do that you know is wrong, just ask the devil. He's got a million of them. He'd be glad to loan a few. He does it all the time. So God does limit, and we can overcome it. Now, what are some of the lessons that we learn from this? Let me just give you these three things, and then we're going to go to our breakout. Number one, the providence of God teaches me that God is active in every aspect of my life. There's nothing that goes on in my life that God is not in control of. Now, you stop and think about all the things that have happened in your life like me, that don't make sense, and I don't understand why God let that happen. And God, honestly, there have been times I've really wondered if God really was still there. I thought maybe God thought, well, you know, maybe He's been so bad, and and, and I thought, well, God's finally just shut the door. He ain't going to listen to me no more. He ain't even there. That never happened. Number two, God is aware of everything we do. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, beholding the evil and the good. He sees everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Do you know there is not one stupid thought that has ever trickled over this pea brain of mine that God didn't know? He saw it coming. He knew I was going to think it. That's the part that baffles this little pea brain of mine. Because I don't understand all of that. But I do understand this. God loves me no matter what. And that's comfort. And then the last thing, if God is really in control, then life is never lived by chance. Never. You know, I just don't understand why so-and-so won the lottery. I don't understand that. What are the chances? In the life of the child of God, we don't think that way. God controls everything. So life is not lived by chance. Now, with all that being said, we still have an obligation to obey, to do the right thing, and to be obedient. God will allow sin, 
He permits it. He limits it. He directs it. But at the end of the day, he really would just as well have us not ever be involved in it. Because at the end of the day, it hurts us. So, we spend our life learning and trying to be obedient. Right? But, no matter what, don't ever forget, God is in control.